0: Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School podcast for the fourth Sunday in Lent. That's March 19th, 2023. And this week's gospel lesson that we'll be hearing in church is John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. Now, this is where Jesus heals a man born blind in an unusual way. Rather than just telling him to see or to be healed, um, Jesus makes mud out of his saliva and dirt, puts it on the guy's eyes, and sends him off to the pool of Siloam. Um, And all of this is for a reason. So um, let's take a look at the background leading up to John 9, and then get right into this text. As we've seen from previous lessons out of John, there are a ton of important themes in John that keep on showing up in story after story. So when we looked at the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, we we talked about water and how um, in the Gospel of John, water is used to symbolize Christ and new life and all sorts of miracles, especially in the first part of that book. And it's um. It is no accident that after all the living water stuff and words that Jesus um, is about in the first part of the gospel, when he hangs on the cross, he says, I thirst because he is dying so we might live, that we might have that that living water. Now, um, water has some bearing in this story as well. We'll get there in just a second. First off, the theme we want to mention is, is light. Because John chapter 1 announces that Jesus is the light of the world. And we have this play then between light and darkness that goes throughout the Gospel of John. So, for instance, when Judas leaves the Last Supper, the Gospel of John says, "...and it was night." Light, or being enlightened, goes with faith, with believing. Darkness, or night, that, uh, that comes to symbolize the bondage of sin and unbelief. And from John chapter 1 on, Jesus is the light of the world. And he enlightens others so that they have faith, while unbelievers continue to dwell in darkness in the bondage of sin. Now, this miracle takes place as part of Jesus' time at the Feast of the Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths. That's B-O-O-T-H-S, not B-O-O-Z-E. The Feast of the Tabernacles was one of the three great pilgrimage feasts of the Israelite liturgical calendar. There was Passover, there was Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks, then also the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. Now, this feast especially was given uh, for a couple reasons. One was it was another harvest festival to give thanks to God for providing them with food, but it also especially remembered their time in the wilderness when they all dwelt in tents or tabernacles, and so you remember from Egypt, through those 40 years in the wilderness, the promised land, they were a nomadic people. They were on the go, moving from camp to camp. And so they lived in tents or in tabernacles. And in the center of the camp was God's tent, the tabernacle, where God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. Once a year, God declared that his people his devout believers, were to move out of their homes and construct tents or booths out of, out of tree branches. And they would do so for a week of celebration and ceremony in Jerusalem. Now, the tabernacle in the wilderness is where God dwelt with his people And in John chapter 1, along with saying that Jesus is the light of the world, John also says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word therefore dwelt is actually the word became flesh and tented or tabernacled among us. So, in chapter 1 of John, the gospel declares that Jesus himself is the new tabernacle. He is God dwelling with his people. Just like in John chapter 2, he is the temple. He is God dwelling with his people. So ultimately, the feast of the tabernacles that God commanded his people to celebrate year after year after year, that pointed to Christ. Because as they built their booths, their little tents made out of branches, to recall living in the wilderness where God was with them and God provided manna from from the sky and God provided water for them out of a rock. All that pointed to the time when the Messiah would come. And now in John, the Messiah has come. He is the light of the world. He is the tabernacle or temple, how God dwells with his people. Remembering the manna, he is the bread of life who gives people food for eternal life, and he also gives living water. In fact, our text is from John chapter 9, which is, of course, two chapters after chapter 7, when the Feast of Booths begins. And at first, Jesus does not go up to the feast, but he arrives later on, And on the last day of the feast, the great day, we read in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, Jesus stands up and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So, as God provided water to give life to his people in the wilderness, So now Jesus also promises living water, eternal life that he will give. And then he says that those who believe in him, living water will flow from them. They will be his witnesses too. I should mention as well that at the Feast of the Tabernacles, they had ceremonies at the temple throughout the week. One of those ceremonies was a water ceremony where they would draw water from a pool outside Jerusalem and take it to the temple for this this ritual. And, of course, I'm bringing this up because the, uh, the pool from which they drew the water was always the pool of Siloam where part of this miracle takes place. And the Feast of the Tabernacles also had a ceremony with lights. So... Here this feast has themes of water and light, and here in John, Jesus is the light of the world who gives living water as well. So, so all of this feast points to Jesus, and, and so our text is wrapped up in, in what Jesus does at this feast. Now, this this section of John goes on for a while. The Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths takes on at the start of John 7 and continues on. Uh, John 9 is part of this section of John as well. It's still under the auspices of the Feast of the Tabernacles, even though that feast has drawn to an end. Which means that John 8 is part of this section as well. And so one verse from John chapter 8 is two verses before the end of the chapter, so two verses before our reading begins. Jesus says, while standing in the temple courtyards, Jesus says to the Jews, the, the, the leaders of the people who don't believe in him, he says to them, before Abraham was, I am. And they can't Prove this in a court of law But they suspect that Jesus Has just said that he is Yahweh in the flesh Which is exactly What Jesus has meant to say But the way he said it Kind of enigmatically He sounds crazy but not necessarily Blasphemous So they don't arrest him But they are so angry That they pick up stones to stone him Because he claims To be Yahweh, the great I am, the maker of heaven and earth, who led his people out of Egypt to the promised land. All right, so we have the Feast of the Tabernacles as part of this theme. We have Jesus as the light of the world. We have Jesus and living water. We now have Jesus saying, I am Yahweh, maker of heaven and earth. Two verses after he says that, we get to John chapter 9 and finally our gospel reading for this Sunday. Starting at verse 1 As he, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now that's Kind of an odd question for us. We know that God has declared that um, each soul is guilty of his own sin, and the soul that sins shall die. And, and, and we know also um, that that the sins of the parents can have bad health effects on their children. Um, so, for, in our present day, for instance, if a if a pregnant woman abuses heroin or cocaine, um, that might result in deformities, uh, physical and or mental, to her unborn child uh, that will afflict that child for the rest of their life. But why did the disciples ask the question here? We don't really have an explanation from them or from the text, but um, an early uh, church father, relatively early, named John Chrysostom, the golden-tongued one, He he says that back in John chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus healed a paralytic. And then he said to the paralytic, go and sin no more. And so Chrysostom speculates that the disciples thought, well, in saying go and sin no more, Jesus was saying the sin caused the paralysis in the first place. And therefore, now in John chapter 9, the man must have sinned to cause his blindness, except he was born blind, so his parents must have sinned to cause this blindness. It must have been some specific sin. So they asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And you should expect one of two answers, this man or his parents, But Jesus doesn't see either one of those. Instead, he says in verse 3, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So this man is blind to show the work of God. Sin's curse saturates this creation, this fallen creation. And in coming to redeem mankind, Christ is coming actually to restore all of creation. So this man's blindness is is one aspect of the curse of sin. And then in miniature, it's it's a representation of how all of creation is cursed. And Jesus says this man is blind so that God can demonstrate that, um, that he is at work to restore creation. And he will do this because Jesus, God in the flesh is about to restore this man's sight. Jesus goes on to say in verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is night, or I'm sorry, while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. And I actually love this verse because Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me. Who is the we? In this case, it's, it's, it's... most likely not the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because him who sent me is the Father. So, so Jesus has kind of parsed out the persons of the Trinity in this verse. The, uh, the we, most likely, is Jesus and the man he's about to heal. So, remember, Jesus has said that he will give living water to people, and then water will flow out of them to others, living water so that others believe. Jesus is about to heal this man, enlighten him, and then that man will do his best to enlighten others by telling what Jesus has done. So as, as Jesus prepares to heal this man, he says, this man and I together are going to work the works of God by my grace and by my power. And he says, uh, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. All right, so, so day and night are, are um, symbolic of belief and unbelief, and so it's the believer who works in the day doing the works of God, while the unbeliever, the one who lives in night, does no work of God because he doesn't believe in him. He opposes the work of God. Then Jesus says in verse 5, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, this is not one of the famous I am passages like we just heard before in John 8 where Jesus says, I am Yahweh. Um, However, Jesus has said in chapter 8, verse 12, the chapter before this, I am the light of the world. In that formulation in Greek that says, I am Yahweh, the light of the world. So, Jesus, the light of the world, is about to bring light to this man who has only seen darkness And now here comes this strange miracle. We read in verse 6, Having said these things, he, Jesus, spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So, Rather than just tell the man to see, to be healed, Jesus instead spits in the ground, moistens the dirt into mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, and sends him off to the pool of Siloam. What is going on with that? This goes back to the, uh, the truth and the theme that Jesus is Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth, And that through him, as John 1 says, all things were made. In the beginning, when God formed man, he formed him from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Dust doesn't hold together unless it's moistened. All right. And so when God creates the, uh, the Garden of Eden, the first thing he does is he sets up rivers around it to, to, to give water to the gardens. The water, so, sorry, so that the, the, the garden has water to give it life. When he creates man from the dust, the dust has to be moistened and, and, and he creates Adam and Eve. Here is this blind man created by God, but his eyes aren't working, and Jesus has come to restore creation. So to demonstrate that he is the one who who creates man from the dust of the ground, or in this case, restores created man from the dust of the ground, he spits in the dirt to moisten it, he makes some mud, and he puts it on the guy's eyes. This is Yahweh at work to recreate with the dust of the ground once again, then he sends he sends him to wash in the pool of Siloam, right? And 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 this is wonderful baptismal imagery that as the man receives sight, as he is enlightened by this washing, so we are enlightened. Um, in our baptism, our sins are forgiven. And and that's a big part of this. The other part is that, um, as noted in verse 7, Siloam means sent. Jesus has just said we must do the works of him who sent me, that'd be the Father. And now Jesus, the sent one, is using the sent pool to heal the man with um, water that is now wonder-working, miracle-working, because Jesus has added his word to it. So the man went and washed and came back, seeing. I suppose along with water at creation, we should add as well that remember that that temple theme that Jesus is the new temple, um, in Ezekiel forty-seven and in Zechariah fourteen we have visions of the temple and water, living water flowing from it to to give life to the nations. And here is Jesus, the new temple, giving life to and giving sight to this man. So, the man washes, now he can see, and we read in verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is not the man who used to sit? Is, not, "'Is this not the man who used to sit and beg?' Some said, "'It is he.' Others said, "'No, but he is like him.' He kept saying, "'I am the man.' So they said to him, "'Then how are your eyes opened?' He answered, "'The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, "'Go to Siloam and wash.' So I went and washed and received my sight.' They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. All right. So remember, Jesus said, um, we, must, um, we must work the works of him who sent me, talking about him and the blind man. Now Jesus has performed this miracle. And, and, and now that this man is enlightened, now that he can see, he is now the sent one. He is now the one who is going to continue the work of God by telling his neighbors simply what happened. And look, there's, there's no sales pitch. There's no altar call. There's, there's no arm twisting. The man simply says, I'm the guy who was born blind, and now I can see. Why? Because a man made, named Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and washed. So I went and washed and received my sight. So so he is a one sent now by Jesus joyfully simply to say what it, what has happened Now the word sent one in Greek is the word for apostle And so as Jesus heals this man and now this man is 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 sent by grace to tell us what happened so Jesus rises from the dead at the end of John, and in John chapter 20, he breathes on his disciples, and he, he, uh, he tells them to go out and forgive sins, and his disciples are then apostles, his sent ones, to do the work of God by giving life to others, by proclaiming the gospel, by saying simply what happened, that Jesus died for the sins of the world. All right, back to our text. Uh, they said to him, "Where is he?" And he said, "I do not know." So Jesus has disappeared for now, but the blind man is doing the work of God by the grace of God, talking about Jesus. In verse thirteen, they brought him to the Pharisee. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said he is a prophet. All right, so they bring the man formerly blind to the Pharisees. And remember, the Pharisees are some of the leaders of of Judea, which means that they were some of those picking up rocks to stone Jesus about 15 verses ago when Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. They're looking for any reason to get rid of Jesus. And now what does Jesus do? He performs this miracle, but they say he's done it on the Sabbath, which means they would say he's broken the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And for them, that means do no work. If Jesus has done the incredible work of mixing mud out of spit and dirt, he's guilty of labor on the Sabbath, and so they've got him. Except that he used that mud mixture to make a blind man see, so it might go bad in court if they arrest him for healing a blind man. So, while they kind of dispute among themselves what they are supposed to do, I mean, it's kind of a fascinating paradox therein. He can't be a man of God because he broke the Sabbath law. And yet, by breaking the Sabbath law, he healed a man. And how could he do that if he were not at least a man of God? Now, they don't know what to say about that, so they asked the blind man, "What do you What do you say about him? He says, he opened your eyes?" And the man says, "He is a prophet," which is not wrong, although it's kind of the uh, kind of a very low level understanding of Jesus. Jesus is a prophet, and that prophets speak God's word, and Jesus is the Word made flesh who speaks God's word because he is God. But the blind man has fallen down on this conclusion. Whoever or whatever else Jesus is, he is a prophet of God because he spoke words that gave him sight, and that's a fulfillment of prophecy. We read in verse 18 that the Pharisees are not happy with his answer. He will speak for himself. So it's going to be tough for the Pharisees to impeach the witness of the man born blind who now can see because his whole witness is I was blind and now thanks to Jesus I see. Since they can't disprove that story, perhaps they can impeach the witness. And so they call on his parents and say, is this really your son who was born blind? Was he really born blind? Or is this an imposter? Is he a plant? And Jesus is there for a con man. And the parents simply say, what is true? This is our son. He was born blind. Now we can see. We don't know what happened. Now, on the bright side... Kudos to them for telling the truth. On the other hand, it's kind of the minimum of truth they could tell because they know more than they're saying. And they're saying as little as possible because they're afraid. We're told in verse 22, His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. They don't want to be excommunicated. And so they say the bare minimum of what is true. And rather than say, we have heard it was Jesus who did this, or we know it was Jesus who did this. Instead, they say, we know he can see. You go ask our son the rest. So it's it's, it's a case here where, where they know the truth. They say minimal truths. But but they, they are still acting out of fear, where their son so far is acting out of joy. He's been healed. How can he not talk about getting healed by Jesus? In twenty four, then they called the blind man back. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, "Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner." He answered. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? So we don't have tone of voice here. It sounds like the the man who was once blind is is kind of a little bit snarky here with with the Pharisees, right um, We know this Jesus is a sinner the man says, I don't know that, but I do know that I can see and uh, and and truly you know the prophets were sin- sinners too Jesus is not and 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 the blind man is saying if this if by that statement that Jesus is a sinner, you mean he couldn't heal me, Well, my eyes are telling you that you're wrong. They say, how did he open your eyes? He said, I already told you. This is what he did. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Because the facts are all on Jesus' side. Verse 28, and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. By the way, there'd be Moses who led the people through the wilderness to the promised land, who on God's behalf worked wonders like, you know, living water from a rock, who, um, who was there when the living bread fell from heaven, who oversaw the construction of the tabernacle. In other words, Moses was there for all these signs that pointed to Jesus. And these Pharisees claimed to be followers of Moses, but not followers of Jesus, whom Moses followed by faith. Verse 29, they say, We know that God has spoken to Moses, but for this man, as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So this is actually just kind of genius witness on the part of this man who was born blind. He keeps on pointing out to the Pharisees the errors in their assertions. If Jesus is a sinner, then he's not a man from god if he's not a man from god how could he heal the blind man but the blind man can now see so jesus must be a man from god and therefore he is not an unbelieving sinner so it's it's um it's kind of snarky he's he's being provocative but as one now sent by Jesus to speak his word, he's trying to provoke thought, I think, among the Pharisees in hopes that they might rethink their position. Um, he he presents the pieces to them for them to put it together to try to move them to the right conclusion. But by the way, um, kind of the theme in here, right, is, is that Jesus is a man from God. So he is sent from God. And now this man is sent by Jesus, and all this is happening. With the backdrop of the Pool of Siloam, the the pool that means sent. All right, um. So so the man has declared to the Pharisees that this man were not from God; he could do nothing. And verse thirty four, they answered him, "You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us?" And they cast him out. Um, this is the offense of the gospel. The man has spoken good news about Jesus. And rather than say, whoever this messenger is, the message is great. They say, we despise a messenger, so we're not going to listen to the message. So they cast him out, and we read in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So Jesus, in the flesh, finds this man in the flesh, and, and he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the Son of Man is he who is speaking to you. So Jesus reveals himself to be the Messiah, not just a prophet pointing to the Messiah, to this man. And this man, enlightened in both sight and in faith, says, Lord, I believe, and he worships him. He can now attribute this miracle to the Christ in the flesh, who has revealed himself to be the Messiah. And this reading ends with Jesus saying, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So Jesus is coming to reverse the curse of sin and to tip things on their head because right now, unbelievers, the Pharisees are running the show and they claim to be the ones who can see. And Jesus says, no, you're blind. And in fact, your guilt remains because not only do you not believe, which is bad enough, but you also claim to see. You also claim to have teaching that gives salvation, and so you're leading people astray. You're leading them into more darkness. Whereas this man who was blind, he now sees, not just because his eyes work, but because he believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. Just a quick note, because we're running over time already. The Old Testament reading is Isaiah chapter 42, if you read through that, it's a, it's a psalm about the Messiah, which says, in part, I will turn the darkness before them, before my people, into light. All right, so as, as, as the Messiah comes, he enlightens his people, he gives them light, he gives them faith and salvation. In the meantime, he also um, turns back and puts to shame his enemies. And here, Jesus has refuted the Pharisees, and actually, Jesus sent one. The man born blind has refuted the Pharisees on his behalf simply by speaking the truth. And then Isaiah uh, 42 goes on to declare, Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see Who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as a servant of the Lord? So the suffering servant in Isaiah 42 is is portrayed as blind. And one of the reasons why is that while he can see with his eyes, when he heals this blind man of his affliction, he then carries that infirmity to the cross and dies to destroy its power there. And so the Lord bears all of our weaknesses and sins, that he might forgive us and raise us up to everlasting life. Way over time on this great text from John chapter 9, God grants you every good gift as you meditate upon it further. Uh, God grants you every blessing if you are teaching this to others. And until we speak again, the peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. Amen.